let's start. When I was in high school, I was handed a wonderful little book entitled Christian Believing by Bishop Robert Terwilliger. In that book, he has a chapter entitled Thinking Theologically, a primer on theological thought and apologetics for every Christian. It's one of those great little books from the 60s that usually rot on priest's shelves, you know, and, and I think somebody handed it to me just saying like, well, here, kid, take this, you'll like this, and I did, I loved it. One of his main points is that the work of theological thinking is a work of witness, a witness which, which must be deepened and developed as the encounter between the Christian faith and the cultures of the world unfolds. But what I remember most about that book is his definition of a martyr and his, in his discussion of this idea of witness. He writes this. The word martyr is the Greek word for witness. It means theology with blood on it. The knowledge of God comes through a cross, and it is not surprising that Christians make this sign both liturgically and in life. A Christian knows himself to be a sign of contradiction because he knows something about God and man that the world rejects. And that's how I'd like to kick off this year's Lenten series, by simply saying that we're going to be exploring this theology of blood, how Christians have made a dynamic witness to the crucified Jesus by offering their own lives as signs of contradiction to this world. We can be tempted to think that martyrdom is far from us as comfortable American Christians. The church has always offered several correctives to this line of thought, and the first is simply to say that all Christians are called to a life of martyrdom, a life of witness. Sometimes this means death at the hands of persecutors. Sometimes it means laying down your life for others. Sometimes it is simply the white martyrdom, so-called, of a life of sanctity. The second thing to be said is that we are part of a global church, and that church is persecuted. Whether in northern Nigeria or in China or any other number of places, the church faces persecution and martyrdom. And so martyrdom does deeply concern us. It's about our brothers and sisters. And lastly, we never know what might come in future generations. The late Cardinal George of Chicago famously said, I expect to die in bed, my successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Now, that might, this might strike some as incendiary, but I don't think it's far off to say that there are political trends in our society today and have been for a great long time that should give us deep concern. The rise of identity politics is just one of those trends, but many are identifying the reality that this dangerous game can only end in violence, as we saw in places like Charlottesville. This is a disease of the right and the left, and the problem is that Christians who have one prime identity, this sign of contradiction that is the cross will be in serious danger. The truth is that political identity has, for many Americans, replaced their religious sensibilities. Even worse, political engagement has become religion. But the focus is upon gaining power. But if the, the focus is on is not on gaining power, nor gaining, but gaining holiness, not on the exercise of rule, but on martyrdom for us. And that's how I really want to frame tonight's talk. 
as a kind of remembrance, even as many uh, in the world seek to remove all marks of remembrance about our history. A way of remembering our common history as Christians, the remembrance of the martyrs fueling our witness today. And for that, I want to turn to a man whose martyrdom was hardly typical, and I put him up there in advance so you can kind of look at him throughout this. He didn't fall victim to a malevolent state or make the wrong dictator mad at him. He didn't face the sword or the stake, but laid down his life for the least, and in the end, he shared their fate, and all in what many people today insistently call paradise. Joseph de Wooster was the youngest of seven children born into a Belgian farming family in 1840. One of his brothers and two of his sisters entered the religious life, and even though he was being prepared to take over the family farm, he decided against it. His parents were quite upset about this, but he entered the congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary in his late teens, and he took the name of Damien. In 1864, at the age of 24, Damien was sent by the, or, by the order to Hawaii. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's like a joke these days. You know, I'll, Lord, I'll go as a missionary anywhere you want me to go as long as it's Hawaii. Well, he got, he got, he got that wish. Now, this was during the time of the old Hawaiian monarchs, the Kamehameha family, who were slowly being converted to Christianity. Who knows why Damien was sent on this mission? He was considered barely suitable to be ordained. He'd only had about uh, an education up to the time he was 13. But his older brother had taken to teach him Latin. You know, this is, this is my plug for homeschooling. At a certain point, the older kids take over, and you don't have to do it anymore. So don't think of it as being a really hard thing. Um, uh, it is, but not for the reason you'd expect. And he took to it enough simply to pray the prayers in the mass. Uh, you know, he's the kind of uh, priest back then that would be called a, a mass priest, uh, basically a priest with just enough Latin to pull off the mass. But he had this devoted life of prayer, and you know, the community knew of it immediately. And every day he would pray, looking at an icon of the great Jesuit missionary, St. Francis Xavier, who was also a martyr, asking to be sent out into the world as a missionary. For the first two years in Hawaii, Father Damien spent his time getting to know the area, its customs, and its culture, as well as his new life in the priesthood, to which he was ordained shortly following his arrival in the newly established cathedral. Two years in, moved to compassion for a group of lepers living on a nearby peninsula. Um, this was in the days when the Hawaiian kings mandated that lepers live apart from society and colonies. Uh, but there was to be no contact with the lepers. He knew they lived there. Everyone knew they lived there. But he was moved with compassion. Um, and he sent materials for the permanent construction of their colony. But there was to be no contact with them. They were unseen. Most people believing that leprosy was highly contagious. The truth, the truth which was found out later, indeed within the last hundred years, is that leprosy is not, contacted, not contracted by touch, but only by close and continued contact with infected people especially with drippy noses. So drippy nose meets drippy nose, and that can tend to be the case. But the other truth is that only 95% of humans, that 95% of humans are immune to the disease completely. So there's a very small chance of ever being infected, and yet they were outcasts, complete outcasts. But seven years passed, and the local bishop, discerning that the leper colony needed a priest to serve them, gathered a group of four willing priests. Um, 
this is, this is a good bishop doing his job. You know, if, you, if you're ever a bishop and you have to do something like this, the way to do it is to pick four so that not a single one of them will say, I won't do it in front of their friends. Um, and Damien was one of them, and Damien took the turn to go and take the first quarter. And as he was there, all the others bugged out, and he alone was left. The bishop introduced Damien on the day of his introduction as one who will be a father to you, and who loves you so much that he does not hesitate to become one of you, to live and die with you. When he found on that peninsula, what he found on that peninsula was horrifying, a community in almost total anarchy, men and women with open wounds for lack of bandages, rampant drunkenness, sexual license, and almost complete enmity between neighbors. He found that people, oh shoot, that they, that they hated each other. I'm going to turn this back on so you can see it. And he, he turned himself over to a ministry of resolving disputes between neighbors. He was almost like the judge in the, in the town, in the, in the colony. He was horrified by this because this was not what he had seen of what are normally easygoing and, and, uh, and easy-go-lucky um, Hawaiians. He knew them to be someone else. He knew that this was not them, uh, that something else had taken in, had taken root in them. In the first year, the other priests, of course, decided they weren't going to show up. They had no intention of showing up, and Damien determined to stay. And so he built the parish church there, working side by side with the residents of the colony to do so. He dressed their wounds and fixed up their houses, and even, teach, he even taught them to make basic furniture and to start running farms, which is where his farming uh, skill came in. Order slowly but surely came to the community. Laws were enforced, and farms became fruitful. But six months in, he wrote to his brother this. This was probably the, the, the most profound thing he ever said. I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. I want to pause a bit to say that Father Damien fully believed he would contract leprosy. He had no reason to believe that he would be immune to it. He had no reason to believe that, um, that he could avoid it by wearing a mask of some kind or just not getting up close and personal with them. He threw himself into this community, did everything, touched, uh, sat with, ate with, drank with uh, the residents of this colony. We know today that this disease can be dormant in the body for five to even 20 years before manifesting in the skin. But for Damien, he would have lived in daily anxiety that tomorrow could be the first day of symptoms. To serve faithfully under that anxiety must have been awful. Yet Damien's presence, this pioneering presence, served to bring light to the conditions in the colony, and the world responded. Not just Catholics, but the Church of England and many Protestant groups raised money for medical supplies, food, and clothing. Damien would pray with the dying, and when they died, he would build their coffins and dig their graves and bury them with dignity. Many of these... Um, people on, in the colony were, were very young children who had to leave their families uh, to be moved there. Um, and in many cases, they would write home and they wouldn't receive a response at all. Um, and, and they found out later that it's because as soon as that letter came, the families would just toss it in, a, in the fire and burn it because they were so afraid of contracting this disease. Um, this, this recalls to mind um, something about this 
continued call of the Holy Spirit given to the church to reach out to the lost and the least and the lowly. Um, and and, um, and uh, it's quite a, quite a testimony. In 1884, Father Damien had drawn a very hot bath. And stepping in, he scalded the skin of his foot and it began to blister. And it was there that he contracted the disease. After 11 years of serving in the colony, despite growing symptoms, the priest threw himself into the work with even more vigor. Um, technically, from this point on, by law, he was required to stay in the colony. He could not leave. Despite all these growing uh, symptoms and all of this struggle, um, it's here that he, he knew that he couldn't continue the work himself, and so he started to appeal to others to come. And uh, actually, out of this colony at Molokai, there are something like three canonized saints <laughs> that, that came out of this community, um, one of them including Marianne Cope, who was a nurse, who's now St. Marianne Cope. Um, in the end, his symptoms were simply overwhelming, and at 49 years old, Damien finally died in his bed. This was taken just a few days before that. He was laid to rest under the same tree under which he has slept his first night in the colony. 